for? What do you want to say for my hours to come? We spoke on Lexio Divina, a prayerful way of reading the Bible, saying that God can speak to us now, just as we are, through his words, that they're relevant for whatever circumstance we're in the midst of today. Today I'm going to speak about peace. I'm going to speak about how discerning what our calling might be, about how living as part of a community that's committed to its collective spiritual formation might give us peace. I don't come to you as an expert. I often lack peace myself and in my family. I'm speaking to you as a student rather than a teacher. I believe that what I share today will complement the talks that we've had uh, in recent weeks about prayer, about the modern slave uh, tragedy of human slavery, about obedience. I think that one of the strands that runs through all of these things is the challenge as Christians of getting a, action, a balance of action and contemplation. We're a passionate church, full of people who want to serve, full of people busy trying to show love to others. We're social workers and lawyers and teachers and volunteers. I think the challenge for us is not to get lost in our busyness, to make time to build a solid foundation which can sustain us for the love that we want to show others. I hope that we'll explore together during this time how we might equip ourselves to be people of peace. I'm speaking to you uh, on a passage which I first encountered in depth in prison in Kenya this summer. It was in an environment where most people would imagine there's no peace, that there's no hope, an environment of pain. It's a passage I encountered alongside prisoners and prison staff and people who've been sentenced to death. But it spoke to me in studying that passage with this uh, group of unlikely people spoke to me powerfully about the gift of peace that we can have from Jesus regardless of where we are, regardless of what our circumstances today are, regardless of the pain uh, that we've been through or that we've put others through. After I last spoke, I wondered, is this really relevant for us as a young church, as a church of doers? Does this talk of um, formation and what we can learn from monastic communities really resonate with a group of people that's busy doing, people with hectic lives, people who are full of gifts and talents and a desire to use them? Speaking about it with my wife, Hannah, she said, you talk about uh, new monasticism and spiritual formation. Is it because you're thinking about becoming a Catholic? Is it in line with what we stand for um, as members of the Vineyard Church uh, with its Pentecostal foundations? So I was heartened to come across the fact that Vineyard has its own monastic community. It's known as the Order of the Sustainable Faith. And Vineyard has a monastery, Franklinton Abbey in America. Part of the vision for that community is for the discovery of each individual member's vocation 
and spiritual gifting. Michael Gatlin, coordinator of the Multiply Vineyard Movement, wrote, One of our great desires in the vineyard is to multiply disciples, leaders and churches. We want to train and release men and women who deeply and personally embody the heart of Jesus and his kingdom. They will not only live, transform lives themselves, they will engage in fruitful ministry and leadership throughout their lives. Who here wants to lead such a life? One or two of us. He goes on to say, this kind of life requires a very strong foundation and a sustainable faith. Something that's being envisioned and accomplished through a monastic expression in the vineyard movement. Learning and doing. To gain ground requires spiritual exercise, spiritual practice, a spiritual community. For some years, I've understood my calling to be around using the law to serve the poor and building communities of people who are following Jesus in trying to show love and take justice to the margins of society. I'm really passionate about the work that I do with the African Prisons Project, building a community of prisoners and prison staff who are being trained as lawyers and working to get thousands of people released from prisons in Uganda and Kenya. A, once, a friend once said to me, I think you've got a messiah complex. One dictionary defines it as a state of mind in which an individual believes that he or she is responsible for saving others. It's true that I've seen many things in my time which have formed my heart and which I can't unsee. I'm deeply compelled to spend a life alongside uh, Hannah trying to serve and bring justice and hope to those who've been rejected. Our work results in people winning freedom and having death sentences overturned. My posture is more that of a doer than a thinker. I wonder if it's because so many of us are addicted to action, to busyness, to noise. We struggle with silence, with contemplation, with reflection. I wonder if the compulsion that many of us have to act, resulting from the things that we've seen, the experiences which have shaped us, can sometimes cause us to lose perspective, to look to ourselves as the source of our strength and our gifts, rather than look to God. I consider myself a recovering activist. I'm now someone who's looking to be active, but also to activate others and to help them to uh, understand their callings to do so in a thoughtful and reflective way. When it comes to my calling around justice, I know that many others have had a similar calling before me. Others have the same now. And once I'm dead, still more will have it. I've come to understand that my responsibility is serving faithfully and that the results ultimately are in God's hands. It's beautifully put in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 5 to 7. Paul writes, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Their servants, through whom you believed, as the Lord has assigned to each his role. I planted the seed, and Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Let's turn to John 20, verses 19 to 21 the main passage from which this talk was born. It says, On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked 
for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. This passage recounts Jesus revealing himself to the disciples after his crucifixion. They were terrified of the Jewish leaders. They locked themselves away out of fear. Jesus, who died a horrific death, greets them with peace. Their calling, their mandate is to spread the gospel. They knew it, but it said they were locked away out of fear. They had seen Jesus' life, they had seen his miracles, but still they were terrified. I studied, I studied this passage with prisoners and prison officers at Committee Maximum Security Prison in Nairobi, and we asked ourselves as we studied it, do I have peace? Am I a peacemaker in my community? If I don't, what are the barriers to me having peace? Ask yourself the same question. The resulting group conversations were fascinating. In my group of eight or ten people, there was a man next to me who said, for many years I didn't have peace because of the things that I'd done to others which resulted in me being imprisoned. He was either sentenced to life or death. He said, then I found Jesus and now I have peace. A prison wardress in the same group said, I don't have peace because I can't forgive people. I've got bitterness and I don't know how to let it go. I think that there can be many barriers to peace in our lives. I think in London there are constant distractions, constant noise, constant pulls on our time. It's easy to be reactive and to go from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, without really stopping to ask ourselves why. What's this for? Where am I heading? I think the potential and the challenges and the opportunities and the loneliness of life in London can be overwhelming. But as people following Jesus, we know that peace is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Commentators have put it that peace is the result of resting in a relationship with God. Peace is more than an absence of conflict. It's the tranquil state of a soul fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot. It's a kind of equilibrium that comes from trusting that everything is in the hands of God. I think that in part, peace can come from a sense that we're using our gifts and talents for the purpose that we were designed. For the disciple, it was for them to go out and spread the gospel of peace after Jesus' death. In Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 3, Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I think the starting point for each of our calling is that we should love God with all of our hearts, souls, bodies and minds and love our neighbours as ourselves. And each of us has our own gifts and talents and potential to do this in different ways, in Balham, in London, elsewhere, in our families, at work. In this passage entitled Unity and Maturity in the Body of Christ, Paul talks of how each of us has these different gifts and grace. The result of living these out and growing in maturity in them is 
in Ephesians 4.14, will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. As someone who's often been blown around, who's often um, been strongly influenced by others, by their encouragement or their discouragement, um, who's often struggled with um, doubts or frustration. This was spoke powerfully to me. Jesus says in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. In a world that's full of conflict, in lies which are full of challenges and distractions, Jesus offers us something priceless. He's the Prince of Peace. Hannah speaks about it as Jesus offering us an anchor which can keep us grounded, which can give us our roots in the midst of what others are doing to us, of what we're doing to others, in the midst of our hopes and our challenges. This is the anchor that I'm trying to root my life in. I think without it, without peace, we can make poor decisions. We can lack joy. We can reach the end of our lives and ask, what was this for? What's my life stood for? What's my legacy? The group of people that I serve alongside at the African Prisons Project, prisoners, lawyers, judges, prison staff, are guided by our values that we're a community of servants, accountable stewards, and courageous change makers. We're passionate about using the law to serve others. We're a group of people who've stolen who've raped, who've killed, who've tortured, who've been tortured and innocently imprisoned and sentenced to death. We believe that God can use us all, despite what our past has looked like. Collectively, we're seeking the source of peace because without it, we're not going to get very far. We're a group of people hated by so many and expected to hate each other but instead we're trying to build a community of love and reconciliation I think it goes for all of us that without that peace which Jesus offers we're wasted potential Dorothy Day said the greatest challenge of the day is how to bring a revolution of the heart a revolution that starts with each one of us Many things can contribute to this. We've spoken about some of them. We spoke about exam. We spoke about Lexio Divina. We've got a passion for prayer. We're, we're recommitting ourselves to it today and in the new year. We've got a passion for building community and sharing life with each other. I think the starting point has got to be that it's worth pursuing, that it's worth spending our time being attentive to our um, individual and collective formation. It means sometimes we have to say no, no to opportunities to be busy, to serve, to act, to invest in that foundation which can equip us for a marathon of a lifetime spent serving. Shane Claiborne, who started the Simple Way uh, community in America, wrote, we must not allow ourselves to be written off as radicals when church history and the contemporary Christian landscape are filled with ordinary radicals, but today people crave the spectacular, I know I often do, 
Today, the church is tempted by the spectacular to do big, miraculous things so people might believe. But Jesus called us to littleness, to yeast, slowly making its way through dough, infecting the dark world with love. I think that there are um, simple things that we can do to help us keep the right perspective, to help us to um, act as yeast and to have peace. I think the starting point is making a choice, making a choice that is worth um, investing in our growth, that it's worth taking time to see God. Maybe it means starting the day by reading the Bible rather than looking at um, Facebook or at Instagram. No one's going to do this work for you. It's got to start with you saying, this is something that I value and that I'm committed to. It's about deciding that you want to pursue some of the spiritual disciplines. There are many of them. Hospitality, fasting, celebration, giving, meditation, prayer, reflection, self-control. It's not that we've got to do these things out of duty or legalism, that God's going to punish us if we don't. Rather, it's saying that there's value in them. And by committing to, to living a disciplined life, to trying to grow in understanding of, of God and what he wants for us, we can have new joy, we can have new love, we can have new richness in our lives. Rufus Jones put it that, I pin my hopes to quiet processes and small circles in which vital and transforming events take place. I think there are many opportunities within this church to be involved in those quiet processes and small circles but we have to make that choice i think the third thing is around pursuing gratitude i think often i'm focused on what's uh, the challenge in my life today and tomorrow what obstacles have i got to overcome now and i forget those that i have overcome in the past i can't remember the past blessings that i've experienced and i become ungrateful I think having a posture, posture of gratitude, maybe having a gratitude journal and writing down the blessings that we receive, the challenges that we've overcome, the prayers which have been answered can give us that sense of peace, give us the sense that we've been through these challenges in the past and God's sustained us. So why wouldn't he do it again and even in greater ways? The people of Franklinton Abbey, Vineyard's Monastery wrote, we believe that God has something for everyone we create context to help people slow down and pay attention to their lives, their questions, longings, relationships and difficulties. These are the everyday places where we invite God to speak, to heal and to bring hope. I'm excited about the journey that we're on together as members of Balham Vineyard, the ways that we're investing in our collective formation. There are those of us who will be part of the growing prayer movement in this church. There are those of us who are using Lexio Divina, a group of us who's going to Worth Abbey, a Benedictine monastery, next weekend. Those of us who are committed to doing more to build community within this church and also investing in our compassion ministries and showing love and encountering Jesus in those who've been rejected in Balaam and beyond. I would have spoken today about the role that contemplative worship might play in this, having spoken last time about the role of um, contemplative study of the Bible through Lexio Divina. Uh, 
I've been over the last year spending time with prisoners and prison staff worshipping according to the model developed by the Teze community in the south of France. This is an ecumenical Christian group, mostly of young people, who've developed simple chants and prayers as a way of finding God. Hannah said if I did so, she'd disown me. Um, and definitely the way of worshipping um, is maybe a little bit too reflective for her. But it's spoken powerfully um, to me and this community of prisoners and prisoners by choice that I'm part of. If the uh, computer allows, I'd like to finish um, by sharing a song from the Teze community. It's a chant in German and it's roughly translated as my hope and my joy, my strength and my light, Christ my confidence. I trust you and I'm not afraid. What better way to sum up a life following the Prince of Peace? If we're able to listen to it, um, as, we, as you do so, perhaps ask yourself and ask God, what does peace look like in my life and what does it look like for me to go out of this place as a peacemaker? in my family, with my friends, at work, in my community. Tune the words of my hope and my joy, my strength and my light, Christ my confidence, I trust you and I'm not afraid.
playing if you're heavy laden if you're burdened by things that you've done to others or that others have done to you Yana, what does it mean to have peace in my life what does it mean to sleep well what does it mean not to have to drown my sorrows with alcohol or drugs or food or shopping What does it mean for me to go out as an instrument of peace, of love? If you want someone to come and st stand with you in prayer for these reasons or for any others, feel free to come to the front. We don't believe that anything magical happens at the front, which doesn't happen also in our seats. But by coming to the front, you identify yourselves. And people who are part of um, this church and our small groups will come and stand alongside you in prayer. <coughs> 